Welcome to the Burba Boys. Uh, this is Chad. I'm doing a bonus review for you all. A blind sampling of some samples that I got from uh, James Saunders. <clears throat> In addition to the blind sampling and ranking of these four samples, I'm going to talk a little basketball to harken back to our original bourbon basketball and bullshit uh, title of our podcast. So, I hope you enjoy... Uh, the three samples that I'll blind sample tonight were number one, a 2014 George T. Stagg, 138.1 proof, uh, E.H. Taylor, uh, Season Wood, uh, 2016 William LaRue Weller, 135.4 proof, and uh, Old W.A. Wicked Oak, barrel number 307. So, to get started, I had my wife blind sample these for me, and uh, then write down what the numbers were that she gave me. And I'm currently drinking uh, Jack Daniel's single barrel, barrel proof, uh, for this podcast. So... I'm going to go through first, I'm going to go through the whole blind sampling and uh, just do the blind side by side for those that just want to hear uh, about the bourbon and then I'll talk a little bit UK sports uh, for those who want to hear basketball as well. So on number one, I'm going to do nose, palate, and finish are going to be my three areas. On nose, I got baking spice. On the palate, I got funky sweetness, almost a rye-like spice, which was weird because none of these had rye. And then the finish was relatively muted and short, but it had a little bit of a Kentucky hug at the end, which to me, a finish is what goes down your throat, and the Kentucky hug is how it hugs your chest at the end. So it really didn't have a whole lot of finish. It was pretty smooth, but it did actually have a little bit of a mild Kentucky hug to it. Um, I believe that that's the seasoned wood. That's what I put down in my notes. Um, number two, which I actually believe to be the old WA, I, uh, I have nose, caramel, toffee, and light alcohol. Uh, with the seasoned wood, there was actually no alcohol. I couldn't, couldn't catch any alcohol in the nose to, to speak of. On the palate, I got... Uh, a butter candy, sort of like a Weathers Weathers original, uh, maybe a little nutmeg spice. Uh, it was a it was a weird combination, sort of like a uh, like a like a pecan pie, sort of without the pecans, which is strange to say, but that's what I got. Um, on the finish was it was a medium. A medium finish, so it got a little bit down the throat, but you really didn't get much of a Kentucky hug. Um, Number three, I believe to be the uh, William LaRue Weller, uh, which is uh, 2016 William LaRue Weller, 135 proof. I got quite a bit of alcohol in the nose on this one. Uh, The palate was a sweet candy... It was really very 
trying to think of a word to explain it. It's sort of like a... <sighs> sort of a caramely um, dead air is always the best on reviews it was a caramely hard candy type of flavor wasn't a whole it was no spice at all to speak of maybe a little bit of your normal baking spices but I mean that's pretty much in every bourbon so you could say that for almost everything uh, finish had a decent hug, not much the beginning of the finish, but at the end he had a late oncoming rush down the throat, um, which leads me to believe that it probably, uh, is pretty oily. So that's when it caught you was at the end. Uh, number four, which I believe to be the George T. Stag on the nose, lots of alcohol, which to me is a telltale sign of George T. Stag which is a positive to a certain extent. Uh, dark chocolate spice on the nose. Um, it was one of the few that I could actually pick up like a very distinct uh, smells in the nose. On the palate, I got dark fruits, you know, cherries, um, grape, sort of. But, you know, sweet, dark fruits, not, not a strawberry, anything like that. And dark chocolate. Uh, came through on the on the palate as well, like the nose. On the feet and the finish, it was a medium medium hug. I mean, not tons, not what I would normally expect from a George T. Stag. The proof it is, but uh, if it is a George T. Stag, of course I don't really know. Um, a late a late finish, like uh, what was the other one that had a late finish? Sort of like the William Lorreller, which makes sense because they're both B-Tags. Um, slight earthy. Slight earthy I caught at the end, too. Was after I took a couple breaths in, I could definitely tell some earth. Uh, some I don't know how to explain it as far as a taste profile. It's not dirt, but it's sort of like the clay earthiness you get sometimes in bourbons. And if you haven't tried Jack Daniels Single Barrel Barrel Proof, I suggest trying one, man. It's not your father's Jack Daniels, man. It barrel proof and single barrel, this stuff's actually quite good. This one's actually a lot of banana, very mellow for a hundred and I think hundred and thirty proof almost. And only sixty something bucks most of the time, so it's a decent pour for that. Yes, this is the first uh, recording from the new household, so hopefully we get rid of a little bit of that background buzz noise. So to, to tie a bow on how I felt about these, I ranked them. I went one is my first, my one I like the most. Number three is number two. This is the order. I'll just go one. I said one, three, four, two were where I ranked them in the order of what I like the most. And I haven't looked to see quite yet how my wife uh, blinded, blinded them. So, I'd like to get this in about 10 minutes. So,
it appears that I may have gotten them all correct. So, let me go back over my notes. Number one was uh, the seasoned wood. Number two was the OWA. Number three was the William William LaRue Weller. And number four was the George T. Stagg. And I believe that is exactly how I had them numbered. Yes, that's how I had them numbered too. To me, I've had... uh, Just to give you a little background, one of the few... Season Woods, one of the few I've had of this before. I had it actually down in Nashville at a, a, a restaurant. I can't remember which one it was. Um, really good food, too, but they did a uh, secret stash bourbon, and Season Wood was on the... We were down there for a U.K. football game, uh, the bowl game last year, and uh, I almost em- emptied the whole bottle because I thought that stuff was so good. It's unique. It's not something I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. It's just super unique for a bourbon. I guess the seasoned wood adds a little bit different twist to a bourbon. It made it really rye esque for me. So yeah, I guess it looks like I got them all right. But I mean, to be honest, I guess I could. I don't know that I could pick out a William Larue Weller and a George T. Stag if I didn't know they were coming. But if you give me four bourbons and tell me two of them are B-Tax, one's a seasoned wood, and one's a... I could pick them out pretty easily. Just by the the nose alone, almost. So, we'll make that the end of the bonus side-by-side blind. Now, for those who want to stick around for the basketball portion of the podcast, you're welcome to. Um, I had some questions from uh, some members of the podcast group. First of which... By the way, since this is a bonus episode, I'll throw this out there. <clears throat> I got into a little of a bit of a ballyhoo with a few people tonight in the Juice Club page. I put up a trade... I offered a E.H. Taylor single barrel, which trades for eighty to ninety dollars, sells for eighty ninety dollars for the higher end for a lot of pages, and actually uh, most pages. Um, and I put a small batch E.H. Taylor and a rye or a rye, which retail is probably one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty dollars. But for secondary, you're looking at like one hundred forty, hundred fifty bucks. So the point of me saying that is the reason I start there is because I'm willing to negotiate. That's what trades are about. You offer something. Somebody says, I won't do it for that, but I'll do it for this. But instead of actually negotiating, you just have trolls that want to make fun of what your valuation is. Technically, my valuation isn't there because it's not a for sale page. I have what I'm offering. You can either take it or leave it. Now, if I was doing a for sale and I said, I want to sell a E.H. Taylor, e. Taylor single barrel and a rye, straight rye, for $200, that's crazy. I understand that. But for a trade, it's a little bit different. <clears throat> I didn't feel like my trade option was that far off to begin with, but 
They did, and they trolled me. I try to keep my composure in that stuff now, though, because I used to just get... so mad. Uh, but the longer you're in the bourbon pages, the more you see the trolls are just going to talk shit, regardless of what your point is. My thing is, if you're if I'm offering that up, I gotta have some place to go. If somebody takes me up on it, then great. If they come back and they say I'm gonna need two E.H. Taylor single single barrels, which secondary value is pretty much spot on to what a retail for or even secondary for Kentucky Outbatch too. So. Our first question is from Brad Bonds, of course. Will we win number nine this year? Your thoughts. I really hate to predict championships, especially for Kentucky, because I am really, really... uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? superstitious so I don't bet for Kentucky to win games I don't bet against them I tend to be a guy who is uh, prepare for the worst and hope for the best so if we're up against a tough game and it gets going down I'm like oh man we're going to lose this but then hope hope like hell we're going to win so do I think we're going to win number 9 no Do I hope we do? Yes. Do I think it's possible? Yes. It all depends on how the freshmen come along. It depends on how they mesh with the seniors or the upper um, upperclassmen for Kentucky upperclassmen or sophomores. So, yeah, I, I think if I was to put our odds, I, Vegas has it pretty even. I think, or like, I think we're thirty to one right now. And Duke is somewhere around that area. I think us and Duke are probably the two most talented teams. Uh, there's the other. The only problem with Duke is their top three players, their incoming freshmen, are all at the same position, and none of them are good shooters. So I don't know who you're going to move to shooting guard and really make an impact because you need somebody that's going to stretch the floor. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say I, I would put it at around a. 30% chance, which is 30 to 1, I think is somewhere around that. Um, so if you played 10 games, I think we, if you played 10 championships, 10 uh, tournaments, I think we'd win three, somewhere in that area. Um, now the questions roll in from Mr. Richard Mungle. Will Cal go to platooning the guards or just sub freely? I think it's going to be a game-by-game basis. Uh, That's what he tends to do. He did platooning one year, and that didn't really work out for him too well uh, with recruiting because once you start platooning, then you know that you're only going to get a set amount of minutes, um, and even your guards that think they're the shit don't want to come into that because... They're limited in how many minutes they can get, even if they're performing... So I think he tends to go with after the Bahamas trip, which watching the first game today was 
pretty amazing. And the athleticism is ridiculous. But you can see the freshman jitters in him, so I don't think he's going to platoon, to answer your question, Ricky. But I do think he's going to sub freely, and I think he will sub frequently because he has a lot of guards to deal with. Will Cal at times play four guards and one big man? No, I don't think he's going to do that. But I guess it depends on what you consider big man. I mean, Kentucky has a plethora of uh, power forwards with center skills. I mean, you've got E.J. Montgomery, you have uh, Reed Travis, you have Nick Richards, you have P.J. Washington with Travis and uh, Washington trying to expand their shooting range to get to the NBA. But uh, Nick Richards... I mean, I guess he's really the only true big man we have, but the the other ones are power forwards. E.J. Montgomery's a little smaller. Uh, so I think, if anything, he'll go big heavy. I think he'll go three bigs, like three legit, like two. I think P.J. Washington, uh, you'll see Pete more P.J. Washington, Travis and Richards this year than I think you will see of a four guard lineup. Unless you see foul trouble, then they might change. I mean, you got Tyler Hero's going to see some minutes, especially after the way he's played so far. Keldon Johnson's a beast. I mean, they've got so many players. It's just going to be a matter. It's like a puzzle for him. Next question How will the freshmen mix in with the older guys? I mean, that's the million dollar question. How are the freshmen going to mix in with that's a pretty much every year issue with Kentucky, except for the one year they won the championship, which they were a little more upper class heavy than they normally are. I think the good thing about this year's school squad is they do actually have PJ Washington return, returning, who is uber talented sophomore. Plus, you have Quade Green at a guard position, which guard upperclassmen are always a positive because. They're the ones who are supposed to be running the uh, running the floor anyway. So I can I guess I can only imagine that it's gonna it seemed to go well the first game. Now whether that continues or not, it's a different story. Uh, who will lead the Cats in scoring this year? You know, after the first game, I could really see Tyler Hero doing it. But I don't know if he's going to get the minutes in order to do it on a regular basis because I think his minutes are going to go down as the season goes through. I think uh, you're going to see more Keldon Johnson than you saw tonight. So I'm going to guess that... uh, I mean, if you watch tonight's game, Nick Richards might be the leading scorer, but I don't think that's going to be consistent either because he did that a little bit at the beginning of last year. I think you'll see P.J. Washington consistently score, so he might win. Just He might be the leading scorer just for consistency's sake because he'll get you, you know, 10 to 15 on a nightly basis and tw- upper of 20 sometimes, um, whereas some of the other players like Hero or Kelton Johnson or Ashton Hagens or Quade might score 25 or 30 sometimes, but then other times they're going to score in the, teen, the 10, low t- teens or 10 or even single digits. 
Will Cal play all man-to-man defense? You know, that's what he likes to do, Rick. I think he got a little bit of the zone in him last year. And uh, I think he knows how, I mean, he obviously knows how to coach it. Because some people say he just say he just rolls the ball out there and lets them play, but that's ridiculous. I mean, he has lots of talent, and coaching is so many facets compared to, you know, just basic things. I mean, people always complain about him not knowing how to X and O coach. He doesn't do the best at that, but I think there are other things that he exceeds at that makes up for him and makes him a good overall coach. I think he won't play all man-to-man. I think he's going to be forced to do zone at times because I think if he does go to the larger lineup with with, uh, Richards, Washington, and Travis, he's going to have to play some zone, and I think that zone could be amazing if you had those three on the low. Uh, And then you have... uh, And then you have Ashton Hagens and, I mean, put Tyler Hero up at the top. And that's a long lineup. That's a lot of that's a lot of height to have to get over. Sorry, I just left my questions. i got to go back to my page here. So I think it's going to be a mix of both. But obviously, it's going to be more uh, man-to-man than anything else. Just because that's, that's what Cal rolls with. <laughs> Okay, Ricky's final question is, will we finally be able to full-court press with our quickness? Will we? I I think he could. I mean, he's got the flexibility to do pretty much anything he wants this year. Uh, Do I think he will? I think it'll be situational, uh, where they they need to push the other team into speeding up. So you go a little fast, go a little fast, play a little full-court press. I don't know how much you'll see that. They've got the guards to do it. I mean, Ashton Hagen was picking pockets left and right tonight, uh, which was impressive because we haven't had a guard like that in a while that could just pick somebody's pocket like that. Um, but, yeah, just basically overall what I saw tonight watching the game was Nick Richards greatly improved, which you would hope for. He's got the size and the body for it. He just needs the aggression, and he needs to develop that jump shot that he showed a little bit of it tonight, the mid-range jump shot. And then Ashton Hagens looked good. He was running. He's maybe going a little too fast. He needs to slow down a little bit, but play a little more under control. Quade looked a little bit timid tonight. He made some good passes. Uh, He did a little bit of... Second, second thinking is shot, which he needs to shoot more. Tyler Hero was really good. I mean, he was all that he was built to be. He could shoot. He was driving. He was playing better defense than I thought he would. A lot of people were knocking his defense. Um, let's see who else. PJ was PJ. I mean, he's a brute down low. He was getting rebounds. He was hustling. He had a couple of shots. I think baseline Jays. It looked really good. Reed Travis looked like he needs to uh, get used to the floor. I mean, I think Dan Dockage's opinion on that was pretty accurate. He needed to – he didn't look comfortable a lot. 
which makes sense. He's on a new team, playing in a new league. He's playing probably a little bit higher competition. Pac-10's not that great in Stanford. Um, but he was the man there, so, I mean, he was getting doubled down on. Who else? Kelton Johnson was aggressive, but he just wasn't hitting his shot. That'll come. Egypt Montgomery looked a little bit better than I thought he would. Still raw, but definitely athletic and impressive. I really didn't see... Um, uh, who's the other, what's the other guard's name? Quickly. I didn't see Quickly playing that much. I'm sure he did, but... I was off and on at times watching it and watching the kid and cooking dinner and all that jazz, so I didn't get to see it all right through 100%. Um, So Brad Calipari hit a three, and the crowd went nuts. You know, I was talking to my wife earlier about uh, just how incredibly short the shorts are now. I mean, it's like, Ricky, if you're listening to this, this is like your, your time period shorts. I mean, when I was playing ball heavy and my, six or seven years ago, you weren't cool unless your shorts almost touched, almost touched the ground. Now they're almost touching your nuts. It's completely opposite of what it was. It's amazing. All right, well, I think that's probably enough. We're getting close to a half hour. Um, I'm going to have one more sip of this. For those who didn't see it, although I'm sure you saw it, if you're listening to this podcast, I did just get the first batch of our glassware in that I'm going to price out individually with shipping. I got a couple people that reserved them already. I got to get one to my co-host. So after I figure out how many we have um, and where the interest level is, then I'll order some more. Make sure you follow both of our Facebook pages, the Bourbon Boys Facebook page, Bourbon Boys Podcast group, as well as the Bourbon Boys Podcast uh, fan page. The podcast group is getting to be more interesting because there's a little more talking interaction. People get a little more notifications on it, so there's more, you know, fun to be had. Um, and I try to make, you know, some funny quips every once in a while or what I think's funny. Who knows if you're going to think it or not. So, thanks for joining me tonight. Until next time, cheers. Love you guys.